Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for another edition of the Penn State Blitz and also obviously the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders joined by Greg Pickle here on a, it's, we're getting into late September, which is uh summer's summer's gone, Greg. It's not, it's not 105 degrees. That's good. But let's get to the, let's get to the rundown for this week. We're going to take a, a pretty detailed look at Penn State's schedule, the eight game schedule. It's actually a nine game schedule, but we know who they're going to play for the, for eight, eight games in eight consecutive weeks. At least that's the plan that was released last week. We'll talk about that. In the first couple of segments of the Penn State Blitz, we're going to get to some recruiting news after intermission, after halftime. There's always some recruiting news with Penn State. I have a couple questions for Greg, and we're going to close. We're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. Preakness is coming up. I don't know if we're going to get to that, but I know that we're going to talk about a former Penn State Mindy Lion, who I know Greg and I both wish well in his recovery. So, Greg, let's get started. Let's talk about Penn State's 2020 schedule. I believe it's going to begin. That weekend of October 23rd, 24th, or 24th, 25th, that Friday and Saturday. Let's start with the first game, Greg. Hope you're doing well. I hope Lola's doing well. I hope Lola's looked at the schedule and she's got some thoughts. But they open at Indiana. And I'll just say this at the beginning. They got Ohio State right after that at home. So I think we probably should talk about these two almost in tandem because it's, it's kind of a tricky opener, don't you think? Absolutely. I think you said it best the other day is that I don't know if you could have a trap game before the season or in a first game of the year, but that's a tough draw. I mean, I really like the quarterback there, Michael Penix Jr. If he's healthy, which we think he is, they have a new offensive coordinator out there who is going to try and get that group going. I like the running back whose name escapes me at the moment, but he's a darn good player. And, you know, defensively, Tom Allen always has that group in pretty good shape. So they lose some pieces, but I guess it's not the worst thing in the world to have a road test right out of the gate with Ohio State coming right behind you. The Buckeyes, of course, open with Nebraska. And so they each have some, you know, I I don't know if Nebraska is quite as tricky as Indiana is going to be. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, it's uh, it's an interesting lead in then the week two with, you know, obviously no whiteout game with uh, fans not being permitted at Beaver Stadium or any Big Ten stadium this fall. They might let parents and families in. We'll have to wait and see how that works out. But yeah, ultimately, I think that for for Penn State, you got to find a way to survive that opener on the road with a whole lot of newness in terms of coaches and in terms of contributors, and then set yourself up for uh, a run at Ohio State in week two. Regarding the Hoosiers, that first game, Greg, I remember last year's Penn State-Indiana game. That was a tussle into the fourth quarter. Penn State struggled to put the Hoosiers away. Their quarterback, uh, Penix, was hurt. He, he was hurt and out for the year. Peyton Ramsey, who I think transferred, I don't know if he transferred to Northwestern, but he was the quarterback for Indiana. I believe he threw for over 300 yards. There was a lot of issues in pass defense for Penn State that day, and they had their hands full with Indiana in that game. The reason I bring that up, and I think we should, I think it's fair to talk about it, even though nothing's been, been said, 
Greg, I think you and I both agree there's a good chance that when Penn State opens their season against Indiana, based upon some off-season, off-the-field, alleged, alleged incidents involving some Penn State players, they could be shorthanded a little bit for this game. We're not talking about guys that opted out. We're not talking about injuries. We're just talking about it was a little bit of an eventful offseason for a couple of Penn State players, allegedly. And James Franklin's usually been fairly consistent with his policy. Greg, do you think there's a chance? I'm sure we'll hear from James at some point, but it's a little early. Do you think there's a chance Penn State's going to be shorthanded for the opener? Yeah, I don't think it's obviously absolutely something you have to think about. You know, a lot of those guys who are facing some charges have court dates uh, before the opener. So we might learn more about that in the weeks to come. But yeah, I mean, he's been pretty consistent as it relates to violations of team rules and how he handles that. You know, he sat Micah Parsons at a point last year, which would tell you he's probably going to sit anybody. Garrett Sickles way back when for uh, what I believe ended up being some kind of issue with class or something academically. I don't exactly remember, but he sat him for a half against Ohio State. So he's consistent as as long as he's been at Penn State with what he does in these situations. So obviously we don't know all the details and how that will shake out, but it's something to monitor for sure. So, yeah, they could head on the road a little bit shorthanded. And then, you know, again, you turn into that Ohio State week two matchup and you just wonder which side will be rustier and which side will more quickly adapt to this new season with no spring practice and a shortened and strange camp season and not tackling all that much and so on and so forth. So, yeah, a lot of things to consider besides just who's on the other sideline. Two things about the Buckeyes game, which is scheduled for October 31st, which I believe will be Halloween weekend. Uh, number one, Greg, the odds that the Ohio State-Penn State game, even though no fans, will be a night game, number one. And number two, do you think the Big Ten looked at the big picture with regard to bowl games and potential the national playoff when they scheduled Ohio State and Penn State early to perceived two most, maybe the two most talented teams in the Big Ten? I ask you that because... You schedule the game early, and if it's competitive and it's close, it gives the loser a chance to kind of rebound and regroup maybe with uh, the rankings in mind. Yeah, I have not, and I should have taken a long look at what's already on the schedule for other uh, conferences in terms of the evening games in that week. I would be willing to bet, though, that not too many kick times have been set yet, so there's some yep. flexibility that remains there for ESPN, ABC, Fox Sports 1, and what, and so on and so forth. I think it's 100% a night game. I mean. You got to put your biggest games in your biggest spots if you're uh, if you're in need of inventory, as all these sports networks are. So that's a night game in my book. And I do think that there was probably some thought about even if you lose that opener, you have a little bit of a built in or I'm sorry, the week two game. But even if you lose that, you have a little bit of a built in excuse playing it early in the year, yada, yada. And you have time then to have a good rest of the season and ninth game to win back some some respect from the college football playoff, especially if it's a close game. So, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there was some, some behind-the-scene work going on there to put that game where they put it. Of course, they always end with Ohio State-Michigan, so that was going to occupy that last spot on the calendar. So I find it hard to believe that some random schedule generator just spit that game out in week two and nobody had any thoughts or or reasons for putting it there. Okay, we're going to spare the Penn State fan base a lot of analysis about the Maryland game in week three at home. I believe the Terps haven't scored a touchdown against Penn State since the 2016 game. Last year's game was a shutout, and I think they were held to three points at each of the games. Uh, I believe, I, I could be wrong, but maybe the 2018 game 
was a little bit more competitive, but they haven't scored very much against uh, Penn State. They uh, the week four game is at Nebraska. That could be a little bit interesting. Penn State hasn't been. I think I don't think Penn State's been to Lincoln since James Franklin has been at Penn State. I believe that's correct. But before we get to maybe the second half of the schedule, does anything strike you about the third and fourth games on Penn State schedule? Maryland at home and then at Nebraska uh, the week the weekend of November fourteenth. No, I mean the younger Tagovailoa brothers now transferred in the quarterback to Terps, and they have new off two new offensive coordinators in Scotty Montgomery and Joker uh, Phillips. But that's about as far as it extends. The defense is not great. The offensive line is beat up and out, losing players. That's a win. No real need to discuss that any further. And then with um with Nebraska, how dare you forget the 2012 Matt Lehman touchdown game in Lincoln? That wasn't James Franklin though. That was Bill O'Brien. No. You, you weren't sure if you were correct. You were correct, but you should. Have I will it. never forget the Matt Lehman game. Neither will Matt McGloin, Michael Mowdy, and the rest. That was a hell of a game. It absolutely was. Yeah, that'll be an interesting road trip. We'll know more about that after we see Nebraska for a couple weeks. I'm not high on them this year, but I have been wrong before, a la Minnesota in 2019. Yeah, and I believe I believe you could read into it what you want, but the Big Ten really didn't do Nebraska any favors with its early season schedule by the time. Nebraska hosts Penn State. They're gonna, I think they're gonna have played some real heavyweights and they might be a little bit beat up. So let's get to the second half of the schedule, Greg. Here it's a little bit more interesting. There's probably only one game that I think Penn State should be comfortably favored to win, maybe two. But we got through Greg Pickle, we got through the first half of Penn State schedule, four games. Let's get to the back end of the schedule. There's a trip to Rutgers at some point in early December. I don't think we need to talk too much about that game. But the second half of Penn State's schedule kicks off with a home game against Iowa. And before we get, well, let's, let's, let's just talk about Iowa separately than the next game, because that's a huge game on Penn State's schedule. The Hawkeyes have played Penn State tough, you know, during James Franklin's time. But they don't have, I don't think they have any wins to show for it. James and Penn State have had their number. Uh, a couple of interesting games at Beaver Stadium. But what do you make of the Hawkeyes this year? And how much of a how much of a threat do you do you think they are this year? They always have some good individual talent, but they've been really hampered, I think, Greg, by quarterback play. Maybe that'll be different this year, but they just don't tend to score a lot of points. Yeah, and I don't know if I see that changing this year. You know, losing Tristan Worfs or early to last year's NFL draft, I believe he's a Buccaneer now, if I'm not mistaken. You know, that certainly didn't help matters. He's a guy who, uh, you know, obviously is a major part of what, you know, was a major part of what they did. And so, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. There's no question about that. I, I just think that uh, that Iowa, again, while they typically are, um, while they typically are a tough out, no matter where you play them, it's also a true fact that Penn State has had their number for a lot of the years at Beaver Stadium in the James Franklin era. So, yeah, I, I think that's a win. I counted that as a win when doing the sort of season win total of seven and a half, the over-under prediction. I thought that was a victory. I'm not saying it'll be an easy W, but yeah. uh, I like the Lions' chances in that, in that one. I love it. It sounds like you were playing Pong uh, in the background. I'm sure you're having some some people are trying to call you while we do this, and I'm, I'm sure it's been eventful for you, but I think it's a night. Nice, it sounded pretty cool. So let's continue here on the Penn State Blitz and the Penn State Blitz podcast. This is a big game. Ohio State's the game on the schedule, but ultimately, I think this next game is gonna is gonna go a long way towards determining if uh, James Franklin has a top ten team this year. November twenty eighth at Michigan, huge game, Greg. For whatever reason, 
on the road at Michigan. Penn State has not been able to match up very well against Jim Harbaugh's team. They were thrashed in 2016, the year they won the Big Ten title. That was early in the season. I think that was like 49 to 10. And then two years ago, they got beat 42 to 7. And they it, there was nothing really rosy about that game from the Penn State perspective. You know, talent-wise, I know a lot of people like Penn State, and I do believe they're top 10 worthy, and they're probably right, even without Micah Parsons at the moment. But for whatever reason, Greg, it's been it's been a real struggle in Ann Arbor. Do you see that continuing? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll certainly help that there'll be no fans in the stands. That can't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's a major help, but it certainly can't hurt. So they at least have that going for them. Yeah, that's a fascinating game to me because I mean, we know Josh Gaddis in year two is hoping to have a more consistent offense. We know that Jim Harbaugh, for all his talk, has not necessarily produced at the level that maybe a lot of people expected him to. So they have that chip on their shoulder this year. I mean, I I see Michigan as kind of a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team this year. I'm not overly high on them. I'm not overly low on them. I just kind of think they're, they are what they, they are who they are. And so, but again, you can't dismiss the fact that Penn State has never been able to get it going out there for whatever reason. Um, and even without fans, that's always going to be in the back of your mind and a part of the analysis leading up to that game. Call to the close win. I, I think that this is the most talented team James Franklin had, or one of the most talented teams James Franklin's had, even without Micah Parsons. And if they can't top the Wolverines this year out there, you just wonder what exactly it's going to take. With no fans, with this much talent, you just wonder what exactly it'll take to beat them in Ann Arbor. Um, I think this could be the year. Yeah, and one note on Michigan, I believe they had their quarterback, Dylan McCaffrey, opt out, or he's, he's in the transfer portal. I think a guy named Joe Milton might be the quarterback. We'll just have to see how, how, how you know, that, that kind of transition goes early in the year for the Wolverines. Okay, Greg, I think, I think we can kind of breeze through these last two games. Just get your thoughts. December 5th at Rutgers. I don't know what else there is to say about the Scarlet Knights. They're just not very good. And then... Michigan State post Mark D'Antonio era. Michigan State comes to Beaver Stadium to close out the regular season game schedule for December 12th. The former Colorado coach is now the head coach. His name, Mel Tucker, I, it just came to me at the last second, is the leader of the Michigan State team. Uh, maybe they'll look a little bit different under him than they did under Mark D'Antonio, but just, just your thoughts on maybe those last two games. Do you expect, I'm sure you expect them to win both those games. Yeah, I do. I mean, Shiano will certainly have them fired up. He's done a nice job of adding some talent in the transfer portal. And Penn State, for whatever reason, has never looked all that comfortable at High Point Solution Stadium a lot of the times they've been down there either. So, I mean, but still, it's a win. It should be a comfortable one unless something crazy happens with injuries or quarantines or whatever. Um, I did, Shiano might get that thing going in the right direction again. I, he's not going to do it this year. Um, and then with Michigan State, you know, Mel Tucker, I think, is going to need a couple of years to sort of restock the shelves there and get things going in the right direction. So, I mean, we'll see what kind of team that is now then compared to now. But um, I think this is a, not only a transition year, but the true definition of a rebuilding year for them. They just have a lot of stuff to figure out out there, both off the field and on the field. All right. I think it was a pretty, pretty productive first half here of the Penn State Blitz and the Penn State Blitz podcast. We're halfway home, Greg, so just tell our audience what they can do to rate us, review us, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yeah, so if you're listening to the Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast, if you want to listen uh, a little bit early each week, you can subscribe wherever you get your audio, and you'll get it as soon as it comes out, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, and a few other places as well. You can also leave a comment and let us know if you like my technical difficulties or Bob's take on the schedule and anything else that we talked about on a week-to-week -week basis.
And then if you're watching the uh, Penn Live Penn State Blitz on YouTube, keep in mind those are found each week, youtube.com slash State. Did you say something a couple weeks ago? Are we changing our name or anything? Did you hint at that? Or something's going to be new with our, our videos and our podcast? It's coming, Bob. It's coming. All right. I was just trying to, I was just still trying to build a little suspense, but you didn't take the, you didn't take the cheese. So I'm going to move right along, Greg. We're going to go right into your wheelhouse here. Let's talk some Penn State recruiting. Greg, before we talk about one specific recruit, I know you wrote about it. I know we talked about it last week, but... James Franklin, a master recruiter, I, I would say a very good recruiter, maybe not a master recruiter, but one of the top recruiting coaches in the country, I think, without question. But this current class, maybe the last couple of classes haven't really come together for whatever reason, the way that Penn State would have liked them. Nolan Rucci is going to Wisconsin. He was asked about the restart and like the six-week span between when they postponed uh, in early August and the restart in October, I believe he was asked about the impact on recruiting. And James gave a very blunt answer, I think, or a blunt response to that. And he, he acknowledged as a guy that's used to having rec- recruiting success, he, Greg, he kind of said that they just they haven't gotten it done. And what did you think about how he handled that comment reading between the lines? Is that just, w- was Rucci the tip of the iceberg? And was he most mad about that? Or is he talking big picture he's not happy with the way things are going at Penn State. I'm sure Rucci was kind of the impetus of it. But, you know, again, we've talked before that it's been a few years now since Micah Parsons signed. And there were a a couple of cycles since where things really look like they should work out well. And, you know, they haven't last, you know, they lose Julian Fleming last cycle. They lose Brian Brissy last cycle. They lose Nolan Rucci this cycle. Um, It looked like an offensive line class that could include at one point Landon Tangwall, who is committed and the jewel of the class. Along with guys like Rucci, like a Tristan Lee, like so Wyatt Millam, some others, and it just hasn't worked out. There were some mid Atlantic receivers, including one that was once committed to Penn State, Dante Thornton, who uh, looked like that they could be Penn State leans and they weren't. And I mean, it's true that they've been harmed by not having kids on campus because of the shutdowns and the dead period related to the pandemic. But I don't think he's commenting on the talent they have in the class. I'm sure he's happy with that. I think he just feels like they should have more, and it hasn't worked out in a lot of ways so far in this cycle. So I appreciate his honesty and candor, and some people took it as a shot at the kids that are in this class, and I just didn't see it that way. They wouldn't have those guys in this class right now if they were reaches or guys they didn't want. So that's not something to worry about. And then in terms of what's up next and if some good news is on the horizon, Diego Pounds, the three-star offensive tackle from North Carolina, will announce on Friday. The Tar Heels are in play. A couple SEC teams are in play, but Penn State's in the driver's seat. And I hesitate to say anything's a done deal ever in recruiting, Bob, but that one looks like it is going to produce good news for Penn State around 3.30 Friday afternoon. And so Penn State fans can look forward to that. I think James Franklin and his program can probably use a little bit of good news on the recruiting trail. We'll keep a close eye on that. Greg, we're finally to our favorite segment, the mailbag section. I'm going to start it. We both had had really enjoyed watching Saquon Barkley uh, during his three years at Penn State. 3,000-plus yard seasons. One of those seasons in 2015, he did it without an offensive line that wasn't very good, but just a dynamic player. Impact all around. 
explosive player, could run with power, could run with speed, could jump over you. Just a just a generational player at Penn State. Number two pick of the Giants. He's in year three. And uh, this past Sunday, uh, they were on the road against the Giants, and he su- it looks like he suffered a, a really, really serious knee injury. There's been a lot of advancements in medical science, Greg, but it sure sounds like Saquon's really got a tough road ahead of him in terms of when, when he can have the surgery and rehab. Just your thoughts on Barkley and maybe how that's going to impact him moving forward. I know the fan base probably is all, has all wished him well. He's, he's always been a, just a, a good player on and off the field. I think Penn State fan base hurts for Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all, Bob. That was a bummer to see. And, you know, he's a guy who's been pretty healthy throughout his career, but it just goes to show you just never know one play and you can be in a situation like he is with a torn ACL. So, you I mean, you're right. With medical advances combined with the hard worker that he is and the resources available at the NFL level, you know, if someone can come back earlier than expected from one of these injuries, I think it will be him. Of course, the other part of it, though, is the Giants, and I'm, I know they will be because of the money tied up in him, but they're going to have to be careful because he's a guy who would come back three months earlier than expected if he could. Yeah. So I'm sure he's back one way or the other. But yeah, that was such a shame to see. He's a kid that obviously so many Penn State fans, NFL fans in general, college football fans in general, and I guess he's not a kid anymore, but a guy that uh, that has really won over a lot of people and love watching him play. And just a shame. I don't know how else to put it, but he has a long road back. But if we know anything about Saquon, he will get back uh, sooner rather than later and probably healthier than ever. Okay, what do we got in the mailbag other than wishing Saquon Barkley good thoughts? Of course, there's a lot of questions, Bob, about Micah Parsons and whether he could opt back into the Penn State season. Yeah. Um, let's put a percentage on it. I'll go first. I am uh, 595 to the no. Where are you? Yeah, that was an interesting photo on social media over the weekend. I, he was on, looked like a private plane with uh, a Penn State number 11 with two former number 11s, LeVar Arrington. And Navarro Bowman, I was trying to I was trying to piece together the significance, Greg. All I can think of is I think all three of them are probably based on the West Coast right now. Micah, I think I had plans to train, I believe, in California. I think Lavar and Navarro might live out in California. Uh, Navarro played with the Raiders and he, uh, he had his best days with the Niners. And I was just wondering if they were on a plane and they're all on the West Coast or were they headed to the East Coast? And maybe they're headed to, who knows, maybe they're headed to Pennsylvania. But I think I'm trying to connect some things, some dots that aren't there. The reason I would probably, I wouldn't go 595, but I would say that the chances are probably that he will not be back. Only because he opted out before really that August 11 decision to uh, to postpone. So I think I think he had made up his mind. There, there would be, I'm sure there would be some obstacles to clear. But this is one of those years where I think the NCAA might be in a little bit of a forgiving mood with regard to the pandemic. And maybe hypothetically, if he had signed with an agent, they might, you know, there's there's all kinds of waivers and lawyers. And maybe it might be a little easier to have a change of heart this year. The question is, does Micah want to come back to the college experience? I think he had kind of made he had he had moved on and he was kind of in professional mode. Get ready for that mode. And honestly, Greg, Saquon Barkley's injury probably didn't help his decision. If anything, it probably reinforces with Micah the fact that you're really one play away from having your future altered a little bit. I think that might actually come into play. But I think at some point, the fact that James Franklin keeps talking about the the door being open, 
I believe James, when he says he's willing to, if Mike is serious about it, he's willing to try and get him back on the team. But I think the ball is obviously in Mike's court. I just don't know how seriously he wants to come back and play on the college level. Yeah, he's a competitive guy. I'm sure he's having thoughts about not playing a game for that amount of time. But ultimately, I agree with you about the Barkley point. That only reinforces why he did what he did in the way. Obviously, it was a lot about Corona, but it was also about protecting his future. And that's obviously when you put yourself back in a game situation, anything's possible. So, yeah, I just don't see it as unlikely. I have no doubt that Michael wants to play, but all the other factors will lead to that not being the case. All right. Anything left in the mailbag? Not this week, Bob. That's it. All right. Good good talking to all the Penn State fans. As we get closer to the start of the season and Penn State taking the field, I believe there'll be some more news on that front next week. I think the end of September is when things really start to get a little bit more serious. Hopefully Greg will have heard maybe from James Franklin and some of his players between now and the next blitz. But for now, it's all systems go on the Big Ten season. Things can change in a hurry during the pandemic, but so far, so good. (laughs) 